Welcome to the podcast. This is Dr. Sean Canone. This week, we're going to continue our discussion on the use of anticholinergics in COPD. Let's begin by just reviewing what we talked about last time. We had ended talking about the GOLD guidelines, the Global Strategy for Diagnosis, Management, and Prevention of COPD. These were updated in 2017. Now, if you'll recall, the GOLD guidelines are the global standard for identifying patients with COPD, risk stratifying them, and then offering management guidance for those patients. Now, GOLD takes two main things into account when risk stratifying patients. One, their history of exacerbations, and two, their symptomatology. And based on those two variables, they can put people into one of four categories, A, B, C, or D, based on symptoms and risk. A patient who is a gold A type COPD would have very low symptoms and really no significant history of exacerbation. Then for a type B gold patient, it would be a patient who has more symptomatology but still not much in the way of history of exacerbations. When we move to category C, this is where we have patients with low symptomatology but a significant history of exacerbations. And then patient type D really puts them all together. And this is a very common type patient we would see in the long-term care, post-acute care setting. This is someone who has high symptomatology and also has a significant history of exacerbations, especially those leading to hospitalization. We looked very broadly at pharmacological treatment options for COPD and identified these as A, B, C, D, and other, just for the sake of simplicity. A being the anticholinergics, which are considered bronchodilators. B being the beta agonists, which are also considered bronchodilators. C would be inhaled corticosteroids, which by the way are not primarily indicated in COPD, but they do have an indication when combined with a beta agonist for COPD. D is Dalaresp, that's the brand name for reflumalast. And Dalaresp is a PDE4 inhibitor, a very unique medication we may talk about on a future episode. My others are the methylxanthines. That would be theophylline, aminophylline, and these are considered bronchodilators as well, but have very narrow therapeutic windows and very high toxicity, so they're not utilized very much. So you may have taken note that the two main classes of bronchodilators that are used in the treatment of COPD are the anticholinergics and the beta agonists. These two classes of medications are very, very different in how they promote bronchodilation. And I think it's important for us to just understand the physiology of the lung before we get into pathophysiology and then addressing COPD with these agents. So remember that in the lung, there are innervations from both the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. On the sympathetic side, we have a neurotransmitter called epinephrine or norepinephrine, which is utilized to stimulate beta-2 receptors in the lungs and promote bronchodilation. The cholinergic or parasympathetic side of the lung is very, very different. And so here we have the muscarinic 3 receptor and acetylcholine being released, engaging that receptor and causing bronchoconstriction. So yes, you heard that correctly. Acetylcholine is an agent that when it activates the muscarinic 3 receptor, 
will cause bronchoconstriction. So the introduction of an anticholinergic drug is really acting to block the normal physiologic or pathophysiological processes in COPD. It's blocking the activity of acetylcholine. And therefore, an anticholinergic is a bronchodilator by name, but actually it would be more appropriate to call it an anti-bronchoconstrictor. So when we think about COPD, we know it is a condition where inflammation tends to drive bronchoconstriction, which causes air retention, the difficulties of moving air, the symptoms that we see with COPD. So it's important to note that the bronchoconstriction that's there is only being produced by activation of the muscarinic 3 receptor. So it's really impossible to address the bronchoconstriction of COPD without giving a patient an anticholinergic drug. What's even more interesting is that in recent literature and studies, they found that within the pathophysiology of COPD, there's an inflammatory response. Inflammatory cells move into the site of, of COPD. Usually it's because of tissue damage or continued inhalation of noxious substances like cigarette smoke. But those inflammatory cells that move in, some of them are little micro factories for producing acetylcholine. And so COPD is known to be a parasympathetically upregulated disease state. We have more acetylcholine flowing into the synapse, not just from the presynaptic neuron, but also from these inflammatory cells that are in that area. So we have to think about addressing COPD with an anticholinergic drug. Now on the sympathetic side of the lung, think about this. Norepinephrine is the neurotransmitter that activates the beta-2 receptor, and we know that this is part of the fight-or-flight response. And so when patients with COPD are having difficulty breathing, their body naturally starts to release more norepinephrine into the synapse to stimulate those beta-2 receptors and create bronchodilation. So while giving beta-agonist bronchodilators can be very helpful in patients with COPD, know that they're truly just augmenting the normal physiological processes of the body. They can't address the underlying bronchoconstriction directly because that is a parasympathetically mediated event. So just to summarize, anticholinergics are blocking normal physiological pathways in the lung, while beta agonists are augmenting normal pathways in the lung. So these two work in very different ways. One other very important thing to note before we get into treatment of COPD, and that is to know that there are very few things that can inhibit the activity of an anticholinergic drug in COPD, whereas on the sympathetic side, we have to always be conscious of the beta blockers that we're using in heart disease because some beta blockers will not only block the beta-1 receptor in the heart but also the beta-2 receptor in the lungs and that can be counterproductive when we're trying to treat COPD. So when we now go back to the gold guidelines and look at the different treatment recommendations for each of the four groups of COPD patients, we see that anticholinergics and beta agonists are the foundational approach to treating COPD. Giving a beta agonist is like stepping on the gas pedal, and giving an anticholinergic is like releasing the brake pedal. If you have both of them together, you get a more robust response in COPD management. So for gold group A, 
where there's very low COPD symptomatology and no real exacerbation history, the recommendation is to use a bronchodilator. Typically, these are short-acting and used as needed. But very soon after, especially if a patient's needing to use these more than a few times a day, we need to consider them more symptomatic and now moving into group B. The recommendation for group B patients is a long-acting bronchodilator, either a long-acting beta agonist, or LABA, or a long-acting muscarinic antagonist, a LAMA. You can start with either one, and then if symptoms persist, the recommendation is to make sure that you're using both a LAMA and a LABA in combination. For gold group C, the recommendation here, because patients are low on symptomatology but high on exacerbation history, is to use a LAMA, a long-acting muscarinic antagonist, first line, not a beta agonist. And you might say, why not start with the long-acting beta agonist? And the answer is because the LAMAs, the anticholinergics, have demonstrated a more profound benefit in exacerbation risk reduction than the LABAs. So we start with the LAMA and address the exacerbation risk, and then if further exacerbations occur or if symptoms begin to accumulate, you add the LABA to the LAMA, and you can even consider adding inhaled corticosteroids for those who are really more severe in group C. Finally, in the most severe group D COPD patients, we have those with high symptomatology and high exacerbation history. Here, the recommended baseline therapy is a LAMA-LABA combination. Then, if further exacerbations occur, the addition of an inhaled corticosteroid is essential. And here is where we can also consider Dalaresp. Dalaresp is known as reflumalast. Dalaresp is indicated for patients with chronic bronchitis type COPD and especially those who have had further exacerbations while on LAMA-LABA combination therapy with inhaled corticosteroids. And the literature is pretty compelling that in some patients they can have a profound benefit, although there is some risk to this medication that you should read about. Here we can also start to think about other types of treatment modalities, things like oxygen, which may be very essential at this point. Macrolides, especially Zithromax, have been used, especially in former smokers. And then, obviously, always encouraging patients to stop smoking, no matter where they're at on their disease continuum. Now, there are two very common anticholinergics that we use all the time in COPD. The short-acting ipratropium, which comes as Atrovent or in the Duoneb formulation. And then Spiriva, which is a long-acting muscarinic antagonist. One of the things that's very important to know about prescribing of anticholinergics is that if you're going to use a long-acting muscarinic antagonist, the recommendation is not to use a short-acting rescue medication. So it's important to realize that across all four of those patient subtypes with gold, that there's never a removal of rescue medications. But the use of beta agonist as a rescue medication makes more sense physiologically because short-acting muscarinic antagonists can block the muscarinic 3 receptor, and if you dose the long-acting anticholinergic at the wrong time, there may actually be no receptor for it to bind to. It may be blocked by the atrovent or by the ipratropium in the duoneb, and therefore your long-acting agent may really not be very effective. 
So the recommendation when using a long-acting muscarinic antagonist is to use a beta agonist as your rescue therapy. So the next question becomes Spiriva or another anticholinergic. And here's what I would say. I would encourage you to go back and read through the package labeling for each of the anticholinergic drugs. Get familiar with them and understand them. There is a very interesting alternative to Spiriva, and obviously we always have to think about cost and coverage and formulary, and I want to encourage you to make sure that you've investigated those things before you prescribe. But know that Tudorza Pressair, which is acladinium bromide, is a very different type of anticholinergic than teotropium, which is Spiriva. The thing that makes them so different is not the way that they work. They both are muscarinic 3 antagonists. The problem is that as we've learned in previous episodes, anticholinergics can attack the muscarinic 1, 2, 3, 4, or 5 receptor. So once that inhaled Spiriva gets to the lung, blocks the muscarinic 3 receptor, and then goes systemic, we have to worry about its impact on these other muscarinic receptors. How is Tudorza or acladinium different? It's different in the way it's metabolized. While Spiriva is metabolized through the liver, the cytochrome P450 system, and excreted as an active drug unchanged in the urine, acladinium or Tudorza is metabolized by esterase hydrolysis. Esterase enzymes are right in the synapse, so when the drug comes off the muscarinic 3 receptor in the lung, it's immediately metabolized, it's hydrolyzed, it's completely inert, and really 0.09% of the drug is excreted through the kidneys unchanged. So what that means is that Spiriva, teotropium, has a much greater likelihood of going systemic and impacting other muscarinic receptors, causing side effects like dry mouth, constipation, or urinary tract infection. As a matter of fact, in their package labeling, you can see those anticholinergic events increasing as a patient's age increases and as their degree of renal dysfunction increases. This is not the case with a drug like Tudorza or acladinium. And again, Teotropium is a fantastic medication, very effective in treating COPD, but as we think about the patient who's in front of us, the types of anticholinergic side effects that we may be seeing or want to avoid, we think about potential alternatives like Tudorza or Acladinium to remove that risk. So what do we look for? In a patient who's on an anticholinergic for COPD, we think about can't spit, can't see, can't poop, can't pee, can't think. And if any of those things are happening and a patient is on Spiriva or Teotropium, then we need to consider that this drug may be playing a part in that adverse event. If the patient is on Acladinium or Tudorza, then you really can rule out that this particular COPD strategy is connected to these other peripheral or systemic anticholinergic side effects. Well, that's really all we have for this week. I think that the main points to take home are, number one, that we should familiarize ourselves with the GOLD guidelines, understand these four basic subtypes of GOLD COPD patients, and then really try to tailor the pharmacological approach for this patient's individual unique COPD based on their symptomatology and their risk of exacerbations. 
once we get beyond that and understand the treatment strategy that we want to pursue, it really becomes about understanding these medications on a much deeper level to know not only the benefit that they can provide, but also the potential side effects they can present to our patients. So the anticholinergic drugs can offer a huge benefit for patients with COPD. They are an essential part of the treatment algorithm for COPD. But we have to be very cognizant of the effects of anticholinergic drugs, especially in elderly patients with diminished kidney function. We must always be concerned as to how they may be contributing to anticholinergic load or burden, and always watching out for those central and peripheral anticholinergic side effects that could occur. Well, thank you very much for your time, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. I look forward to seeing you next time.